Thank you, Emily. I always enjoy getting to hear Emily play and sing. She uh, helps out in our youth ministry on Wednesday nights, leads our praise band down there, helps our students, trains them, and always does such an awesome job down there. So it's always a blessing to get to be with her and to get to hear her sing. Uh, now, i got to ask this question before we get started. How many of you were crazy enough to go out on Black Friday and do some shopping? Anybody, anybody get in line super early? I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, I, I did a little reading. We, all, we always see all these stories of all the crazy things that happen on Black Friday, all the stampedes and, and stuff. It's just it's insane. You watch these videos of people get trampled coming into these stores, into Walmart or wherever it is, to get a $5 discount on something. It just doesn't seem worth it to me. Uh, but I did, I did check this one website, then um, I believe it to be true. I don't know if you know this, but since 2006, there have been 110 confirmed injuries and 10 deaths on Black Friday. It just ain't worth it, is it? I mean, you, you see that stuff and you just think, man, this is just crazy how people can just go nuts, can go insane over a 25% discount or over a toaster on sale or whatever it might be. It just, it just seems crazy. Now, this morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. If you've got a Bible, go there. And we're going to be looking at what seems to be the opposite of uh, that idea of going nuts and going crazy and, and fighting your way for a cheap little discount. Um, we've been talking about how to have peace for the holidays and every single day. And we're looking at Philippians chapter 4. And verse 4, last week we talked about the passage that said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And we, talked, we, we learned that the pathway to living in God's peace begins with a joy that is found in Him. A joy that is centered on Jesus Christ. And now we get to verse 5. Tonight we're going to talk about verse 6, which talks about anxiety and worry. But in verse 5, we find this passage where Paul gives us a command about living peaceably with others. He says in verse 5, he says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now in some translations, that word reasonableness is translated as graciousness, as gentleness, a gentle spirit. Or even moderation, I believe it's the King James that says that. Now Jesus uses the same word, the same word for reasonableness, for gentleness, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, when he says this. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. And so I believe the best way we can define this idea just to start us off, to get us started this morning, is that to be gentle, to be reasonable, means to be Christ-like toward others in being gracious. That just as Jesus has offered us grace and has been gentle with us and is the gentle shepherd, we, in the same way, should be gracious toward others. Now surely, when we come back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, now surely Paul here, I mean, he, he's just talking about the people that we love, Right? I mean, he's just talking about our family and friends, correct? Oh, we just got to be gentle with those people, correct? Well, what does he say? He says, be reasonable to everyone. And so Paul is speaking about our relationships to the outside world just as much as he is speaking about our relationship with the church and with our family. Now, we know without a shadow of a doubt we are to be people who are gentle and loving toward our family, but oftentimes it's the outside world that we can have a more difficult time with. So this passage just got a little more difficult, right? It's easy to forgive our spouse. It's far more difficult 
to have that same kind of forgiveness toward people that we don't like, isn't it? Or what about like what about if you're if you're not retired? Let's let's imagine that you're still working. What about that annoying person at work? I mean, how how hard is it to be gentle toward that person, that guy that just doesn't seem to do his job, that guy that just always seems to goof off, that always seems to spend hours in your office? I mean, research says that 86% of people claim to work with an annoying person. I've asked all my coworkers, it's not me. I hope not. Is it Bart? Not me. Not me. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but but what about what about those people that don't like us? What about those people that don't love us? What about those people who disagree with us politically? Who maybe voted for a different candidate for president? Well, let's just read through some other passages of scripture. They're going to be on the screen just because we're going to go through these pretty quickly and see what it talks about about how we are to treat those who we might consider our enemies. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is writing here, he says this, verse 15, he says, See that no one repays anyone, anyone, evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So don't repay evil for evil, but seek to do good to everyone. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, different author now, Peter Talking, He says in chapter 3, verse 9, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Back in Romans, Paul says it like this in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. Or let's go all the way back to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. He says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would, would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who... Who begs of you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends out the rain to the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And so when we take all that into account, when we consider all those different people, Jesus most importantly, Paul, Peter, writing to all these different audiences, I think we can come up with one message, and that is this, that we should be defined by Christ-like love and mercy toward even those who would we consider our enemies. And it's a reminder to me that as Christians, we cannot and must not circle the wagons and ignore the outside world. That we must not isolate, our, isolate ourselves from the world, but instead reach out to the world with love and with compassion. 
Because Jesus didn't say, hey, you know, your enemies over there, just ignore them. Just walk away from them. Just do everything you can to get away from them. No, he said, reach out to them in love and in mercy. Now, this doesn't change our message. It doesn't change our beliefs. This is not a call to accept sin as being good. It's not the case. This is not a call to soften the words of Scripture, to claim that Scripture doesn't apply today or it's a different situation and so it's not all the same today. That's not, the tr- that's not what this is saying. We still stand firmly on the Word of God and we still believe every word that it teaches. But I believe that Christ's command and Paul's command, because it all comes from God, right? Tells us, teaches us, it defines our method. Our message is still the same, but it defines our method. One of grace, one of understanding, not hatred, regardless of how different their beliefs are than us. We believe the truth, but we reach out with the truth through compassion and love. Let me just tell you about my wife. Um, Most of you know she works at St. Jude Hospital, and she is a part-time nurse there, and she floats between different outpatient clinics. The way that hospital is set up, there's many people who just come in and out like a doctor's office in a sense. And they go to these different clinics to get checked out. And one of the clinics that she works in is an HIV clinic. And it's, it's sometimes those patients or children who contracted HIV uh, through childbirth, you know, when they were born. Sometimes, many times, the patients that she deals with are individuals who contracted HIV because of, uh, and without me saying too much because they're patients, because of alternate lifestyles, ones that we would most definitely call sin. Now, it could be easy for her to look at this and say, to walk into a room and just look at these people and say, you're getting what you deserve. You deserve pain and suffering and death because of what you're doing. You, you deserve it. And there are people there who treat those patients like that, that are, just, that are just mean and they're hateful and they're short-tempered. But my wife, bless her, I, I, really, I look at her as a, a super example of this, has earned a reputation with these people of being a person of compassion and a person of love. Now, working in a hospital, she can't just walk into a room and begin to share the gospel. But when they ask questions, and when they open up with her, then it opens a door for her to be able to share with them. And, and, and I, would, I would like you to know, I, I love the fact, that I really think it's awesome that she has become a person in that clinic that those patients trust then many times they will begin to spill out their heart to her. And it enables her to be able to share the gospel and to help point them in the right direction. And how has she earned that right? Because she had a gentle spirit. Because she reached out to them in love. Because she didn't reject them as people. She loved the sinner yet hated the sin. It reminds me of 1 Peter chapter 3 in verse 14, when Peter said it like this, he said, Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Talking about our enemies here. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So be ready to explain why you believe what you believe, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. 
gentleness and respect with a good conscience. And so how do we apply this? I just want us to think through some, some ways that we apply this to our daily lives. All right, thinking about the world that we live in. And the first thing I thought of is this, is it seems like, uh, tell me if, I mean, y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like in this day and age, everyone seems to be offended by everything right now. You know what I'm talking about? You turn on the news and someone is mad about something. And I'm not even going to list off all the ways that people get mad about stuff. And everybody is set off about every little thing. Now, now let's just be honest and let's be, let's be truthful here and say, sometimes those situations are truly offensive and they truly are hurtful and they need to be changed. But there are other times when it's just people who are being hypersensitive. People who are looking for a fight. They are looking to pick a fight. And so they're looking for a way to raise some cane and get themselves on the news. And it seems like that the response in those situations so often, the ones who are offended do what in return? They offend. They go on the attack. There's a lot of this hate-filled back and forth, and you see this on the news networks, that that there's there's this one channel who talks bad about these people over here, then you turn over to this channel, and they just hurl it back at this, this, and then you get on social media, on Twitter or whatever, and it's just this back and forth fight, and on Facebook, and back and forth, and over and over it goes, and there's this, this constant churning of just yelling and screaming, and it's like we're yelling at each other and never really talking to each other. And so what do we do? Well, I, begin it, I believe it begins with this, that we do not play the devil's games. That we do not lower ourselves to that same level. Jesus said, if all you do is love your friends and hate your enemies, you're no better than the world. Instead, he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, it can be tempting to play the devil's games, to offend when we are offended. To return anger with anger. To return hatred with hatred. I mean, let's get them before they get us. Let's show them we're stronger than they are. Let's show them that we have more political clout than they do. And let's keep going back and forth. But that attitude doesn't really jive with what Jesus talks about here. Love and mercy and compassion. I don't believe so. And so we have to live differently because we're the church. I mean, let's take, for instance, this. It's the Christmas holiday, we know. I mean, the shopping season has begun. And, uh, and, and for years, there's been this thing that we call the war on Christmas. You've probably heard much about it. Um, and so without going into a whole lot of details, some stores do not want their cashiers to say Merry Christmas because they're afraid it might offend somebody if they do so. And so let's think about this. You walk into a store and you go to buy something and a cashier looks at you and says, Happy Holidays. Or you go into a situation where they, they can't say Merry Christmas. I mean, what is the Philippians 4 or 5 response? You know what we ought to do? Smile. Say thank you. Remember in our minds that holiday means a holy day. And yes, Jesus' birthday is a holy day. And wish them a Merry Christmas. You know, most likely that cashier is not trying to make a political statement. They're not trying to make a point. They're just trying to make a little extra money so they can buy their kids a Christmas present. And so, yeah, we might get angry at that store. And if we choose not to shop at that store anymore, that's our prerogative. But let's not take it out on people. Instead, instead of burning bridges to the gospel, we need to build bridges with the gospel that will bring people to Jesus Christ. You know, as Christians, we have to be careful that we don't wear our emotions on our sleeves that we don't become the people that are so easily offended. 
Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. I mean, just think for a moment when Jesus got offended the most. When are the times that Jesus seemed to lose it, that he seemed to get extremely offended? It seems, if I, if I remember correctly, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but if, as I think back through the Gospels, it most always seemed to be when he was dealing with his own people. It was when he was upset because God's people weren't being obedient to God's commands. Like the time when he went into the temple and he began to flip tables and he began to drive out people because they had turned a house of prayer into a den of robbers. And they had made worship a form of profit. Or like the many times that he seemed to, to, to go off to get angry and upset with the Pharisees because they had turned the, the religion, God, they had turned God's word into a burden that they had put on the people to break their backs in a sense. It seemed like that, that was what got his blood boiling the most is when his people quit acting like his father. But when he turned to the lost world, it, it never seemed to me like Jesus was surprised when the lost world acted like the lost world. He never seemed surprised by that. Not that he didn't, he didn't act like it was right, but he never seemed like it surprised him. Like, for instance, in John chapter 8, when, they, when there's that woman who is caught in adultery and she's drugged to him, you remember that? And all those, those men drag her. Now, now note. The man was in adultery too in that situation. But they dragged this woman in front of him and, you know, he could have cast the stone, right? He could have said, I can't believe what you did. But what did he do? He defends this poor woman. He lifts her up. But then, don't forget, he looked at her and said, now go and sin no more. And so he reached out to her with compassion and lifted her up. And I believe that he had far better success than we could ever have arguing and yelling at people. Now, are there times when we ought to be offended? Yes, absolutely. Sin ought to offend us. Immodesty, for instance, ought to offend us. Vulgarity ought to offend us. False teachers ought to offend us. But even when we're truly offended, we have to be careful in how we respond, because sometimes the devil can use that as a trap to lead us into sin. The word in, in Scripture that's often translated offended is the word scandalon in the Greek. Sometimes it's, tra it's translated as temptation as well. Luke chapter 17, I believe it's verse 10, or I'm sorry, verse 1, Jesus says that offenses will come. Now that same word scandalon is used to, uh, to speak of a, the wooden stick that holds up a, uh, an animal trap. You know what I'm talking, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Those little, those little type animal traps that it would be a box and there would be some piece of bait put underneath the box and there was a stick, that's the scandal on, that would hold the box up. And so then the animal would come to the meat, right? It would come to the bait. It would be lured in by the bait. And then what happens? Kicks the stick, the box falls, and the animal's trapped, Right? And it's brought to its death. First Peter chapter 2, verse 8. Peter uses that same word scandalon to describe, to, to, to refer to a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, talking about how the lost will be offended by the gospel. People will be offended by the saving message of Jesus Christ. There is no doubt about that. 
But in Luke chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus uses that word in a sense to say that offenses will come to us as believers. There will be times when we are offended. There will be times when Satan, moments in our lives when Satan will, be, will try to lure us with something. Something that might offend us. People doing us wrong. People speaking badly of us. Someone lying to us. Someone gossiping about us. Whatever it might be. But if we fall for that trap, just like that animal, if we kick the stick, in a sense, we might end up reacting in anger instead of living like Jesus. And we have to remember that the pathway to God's peace is what we're trying to follow, not a pathway to hatred. We'll just give you one more example. Let's, you know, this past week was Thanksgiving. Many of you gathered with your family, right? Um, and you're probably going to do this again at Christmas. And, and I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but it's probably been times in your family gatherings, depending on how big your family is, where you've sat down at, at, a, at dinner and someone has said something that just got your blood boiling. Someone said something that just fired you up. You know, they, they, uh, they said something you don't agree with. They started talking politics or whatever and just, and just kind of made, and things kind of got heated. Has that ever happened? Maybe, yes, no. Sometimes even in those situations, they say something knowing that it's going to get you angry. Right? You ever been in those places where they, they know, they're just, if I just say this, I know I can get them going. And they just want to get you fired up. They, they want to get you angry. They put the bait in the trap. The stick is placed there. It's holding up that door, just waiting for you to trip the stick. So what's the, what's the Philippians 4 or 5 response? Be reasonable. When they do that, smile. Ask them to pass the gravy. Pray for them. Now don't pray out loud in that moment. That would be kind of awkward <laughs> if you stopped. Now, dear Lord, I just pray for Billy. I just can't stand him right now. <laughs> don't do that. That would not be a good way to smooth over Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner. But, but if you feel the time is right, don't return heat with heat. Care more for the person than you do for winning the argument in the moment. Knowing that if you treat them with godly, with, with Christ-like kindness, you might lead them to Jesus in a way that you can't do if you make an enemy out of them. God's peace doesn't come because we won an argument or proved ourselves to be smarter, more intellectually prepared in a moment. You know, our arguments are more airtight. That's not how we find God's peace. We find God's peace because we imitated Jesus. Now, I know it can be very frustrating in, in the day and age we live in because of all the stuff we see on TV. You turn it on and you think, man, I just I don't see how there's any hope. I don't see how things are going to get any better. Well, good news, Paul gave us the reason for our hope at the end of this passage. The second half of verse 5, Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, what did he say? The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Now, you can take that phrase two ways, and I believe both ways really do apply. You can take that phrase to mean that the Lord is at hand, that He is right here with us in our midst. He indwells you in the presence of the Holy, in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? He is living within you. The Lord is at hand. He is here now. Or we could also take that to mean that the Lord is at hand, meaning that His second coming is coming nearer every single moment, right? That the Lord's coming is at hand. And both of those interpretations work here. That when we feel like, man, I just don't know if I can keep doing this whole thing of being gentle like Christ, we can remember this. That yes, I can do that because I know that the Lord is dwelling within me in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I can choose to overlook an offense. I can choose to forgive a wrong. I can choose to live like Christ because Christ is living in me and living through me. And as a result, I can have peace. I can have the peace of God in my life even when I'm wrong because I'm relying on God to right the wrongs. That's what it said in Romans, right? It said knowing that God is the one that will repay. Or we can also take that passage to mean this, that I can be gentle, I can be gracious, I can be reasonable because I know that Jesus is coming again soon. That with every passing day, Christ's return is one day closer. And I may not know when that day is, but I know for sure it's coming. And then one day I'm not going to have to worry about the sin in this world anymore because God's going to wipe it away. And He's going to wipe away every tear, He's going to wipe away every frustration, and He's going to make things right. And so to experience God's peace, we must live peaceably with others to the extent at which we can control it. Would you bow your heads with me as we come to this time of invitation this morning? This morning, I just want to first ask this. Is there someone in here today who maybe you are not living at peace with somebody? There is some wedge between you and someone else because of the the way that you acted or reacted in a situation. The book of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that if you come to the house of worship and you realize that your brother has something against you, that you've done something wrong. Jesus said, go and leave the house of worship and go fix it and then come back. I think it tells us that Jesus is pretty serious about this thing of living peaceably with others. And so for us here who are Christians, I think this is a time for us to examine our lives and ask ourselves, am I living peaceably with others? Can I truly say that I have acted like Christ? And is there something that I need to do to right a wrong? Today, commit yourself to do that, to right that wrong. If today you are here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would like to encourage you today to make that decision to come to peace with God. To allow Him to wipe away the stain of your sin. Let today be that day. If you're here this morning and you are not a member of this church and you feel God telling you that you should come come to be a part of our family of fellowship here, then today make that decision public. Walk this out. Father God, we do thank you for your word, and and God, these commands are so difficult, but we know that if we'll follow them, if we'll obey them, that it will be worth it. God, I do pray, as we come to this time of invitation, that you would just speak through the power of the Spirit that is dwelling within us. And may we respond in faith. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Stand as we sing.